There's few missions, ministry opportunities that we have a chance to support that I'm more proud of than our opportunity to support Mission Dignity as it supports these pastors in retirement and oftentimes and more often than not, they're, they're widows. Mission Dignity is part of Guidestone Financial Resources, which is really uh, the investment and the in insurance arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's led by Dr. Hans Dilbeck. Um, I just call him Pastor Hans. Um, but uh, Pastor Hans has been a friend to Lenexa Baptist Church for a lot of years. Good friend to Pastor D Steve Dighton, our, our founding pastor, good friend to me. I uh, served local churches, very large church in Oklahoma City area, then became the executive director of the Oklahoma Baptist Convention, and then now serves in his role as CEO of Guidestone Financial Research. We've been working on this, getting him here for over a year. He's a busy man. In fact, he's going to head right out after service. He's got to go somewhere else and speak somewhere else. But um, he's from Oklahoma. I tell everybody, it's a requirement to preach in this pulpit. You've got to be from Oklahoma, all right? You've got to have some Oklahoma ties. Steve knows what I'm talking about right there. So... Um, but more than anything else, just know about this man. He's a pastor. He loves the Lord, loves his people. He's a great proclaimer of God's word, and you're going to be blessed by hearing him preach this morning. Would you join me in welcoming Pastor Hans Dilbeck? Thank you. Thank you, Chad. Appreciate it. My wife, Julie, and I are delighted to be here. We, we came in uh, yesterday about noon and had uh, a great time at dinner last night with uh, Chad and Faith and with the Dightons and the Shiplets, and we always enjoy being up here. I've been president of Guidestone for a little over a year, and, and, and being here with you on this Mission Dignity Sunday was a priority for me, in part because we like to break bread with Chad and Faith and, uh, and spend some time with them. And uh, Also, your church, you don't know this, but your church is important to me. I spent most of my ministry pastoring a church in Oklahoma City that's a lot like Lenexa Baptist. Uh, only you guys were always a little ahead of us. And so I spent a lot of Sunday mornings up here in your balcony. I'd take a Sunday off and come up and, uh, and observe how, how you were running your schedule and what you were doing in worship. And, uh, and I always learned some things from you. You're a flagship church. Then, and you have more influence in the kingdom than you realize. And a great impact, not just on the lives of the people here, but many others that are watching you. And of course, I also wanted to get up here to say thank you for your generosity to Mission Dignity. It's an important part of what we do at Guidestone. It's the heart of what we do, uh, providing for those retirement age pastors and their wives, uh, most often their widows, who don't have enough financial resources to make ends meet. And Guidestone covers all the overhead and administrative costs, but gifts that people like you and churches like yours give year after year help us to uh, take care of those saints. And your gifts honor them. In fact, we don't call it charity. When they get that deposit in their, in their checking account once a month, it, it's not a char charity. It's an honorarium. And uh, we want to honor them for their service. We want to honor the ministry of the gospel, those who give their lives to advance the gospel. And I think we honor Christ when we take care of them. And, and so I came all the way up here really to say thank you for your generosity. But while I'm here, I might as well preach, right? So open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 will be our text this morning. As I prayed over the last few weeks uh, to prepare to come and open God's Word with you, uh, not knowing a lot about what's going on in, in the church, I prayed for you what I oftentimes pray for churches. I prayed it for my 
the church I served as pastor for years. I, we pray it for our kids and their churches, and I've been praying it for you. It's, it's a prayer that, that is found right at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. It's a model prayer that Paul gives us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? It's a prayer for spiritual maturity and for the glory of God. It's Paul praying for a church like Lenexa Baptist that you individually as members of the body would be spiritually mature, that you would experience the fullness of the stature of Christ, that you would be mighty oaks for Christ, men and women with the character of Christ. It's a prayer for spiritual maturity to the glory of God. And it's interesting that as soon as Paul says the amen to that prayer, it comes to his mind a primary arena in which our spiritual maturity is put on display for the glory of God. And that arena is the pursuit of unity in the fellowship of a local church. Paul says, if you are going to display the character, the maturity of Christ to the glory of God, then the first place you ought to think about putting it on display is the way you live together as one in the fellowship of a local church. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Notice the first word, therefore. Therefore. So what Paul is about to say is connected to what he just prayed. And since, he said, since I just prayed that you would be spiritually mature to the glory of God, let me tell you how to put that on display. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I, I want to preach to you this morning from this little three-verse text in Ephesians chapter 4. It's an important text. It's always been an important text, maybe especially important in this moment of time. And I don't know this, what's going on here in Kansas City or Lenexa, but I know what's going on in churches. I'm, I'm in them every Sunday. And I know a little something about this moment here in the United States of America. And it's a tough time for people to get along. 
Would you agree with that? We're having a hard time getting along at school. We're having a hard time getting along at work. We're having a hard time getting along in City Hall and in the state capitol. And we're having a hard time getting along in the church. I, I, I put the finishing touches on this message in my office in Dallas on Friday. And my office is on the 22nd floor of a building. And I look out the windows to the west. And as I was finishing this message, there was an old thunderstorm building there in the west. I'm not a meteorologist, but I know that there are certain conditions in the atmosphere, right? Dry air colliding with wet air or warm air with cold or some sort of a lift, but all of a sudden the clouds grow dark and the lightning starts coming and there's a storm here. And there are some conditions in our culture that are making it hard for people to get along. Could you acknowledge that? You know them as well as I do. And so because of the truth of God's word and because of our awareness of what's going on around us, one of the things we know is that a church like Lenexa Baptist, a flagship church glorifying God and advancing the kingdom, should understand that the devil, our adversary, has a plan for you. And I don't know what that plan is, but I know that his plan as old as Cain and Abel and Joseph and his brothers and the grumbling church in Acts chapter 6, his plan has always been to attack the unity of the body, the fellowship of the local church. And so we want to be on guard. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 and 2 helps us to do that. Now, fear not. That was a long introduction to a short sermon, all right? But I do want to unpack these three verses for you this morning by making three very basic observations. And the first one is this. The unity of the church is real. Paul is not asking you to fabricate something. He's not asking you to pretend, to put on a good front, or to create unity in the body. Paul is declaring that our unity in Christ Jesus is a theological reality. We don't have to act like we're one. We are one. And you see it in a number of ways in this text, but let me just draw one thing to your attention. Notice verse 1. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You see that? Uh, the, the worthy is a word that sounds like our word axis or axiom. It's a word that describes something being in balance. That your behavior would be in balance with your theological claims. That your lifestyle, the way you live, would be in balance with who you are in Christ Jesus. That you would walk in a manner, live in a manner that's in balance, that's worthy of the calling which you have been, with which you have been called. Uh, uh, there's something interesting about the grammar here. The you, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The you is plural, right? In, in Oklahoma, we would translate it y'all, right? It's not talking about you individually, but you collectively. That 
you collectively as a body of Christ, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You notice that? One call. A variety of people, but one calling in Christ Jesus. Paul's not talking about your vocation. He's talking about that life-changing encounter with Christ. When he called you out of darkness into light, away from sin to salvation, the day in which he called you in the power of his Holy Spirit and you realized, I'm a sinner and I have no hope apart from a Savior. And so I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ crucified as my only hope. And I'm going to follow him, forsaking everything else. I'm going to follow him as my Savior and Lord. It's the same call that Peter and Andrew experienced when Jesus Christ said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. So when Paul here talks about the calling, which we've been called, he's talking about our walk with Jesus and our work for Jesus that comes to us by his grace through that life-changing encounter with Christ. So he's not saying act like something you're not. He's saying would you live up to who you are in Christ, walking in a manner worthy of your calling. And the first, the first thing that comes to his mind is to live together as one in the body of Christ. That's significant. It, it, I suppose that before I preach this sermon, if I'd ask you, each one of you, would you make a list of five essential aspects of what it means to live like a Christian? What does it mean to live like a Christian? List five things. I wonder how many of you would have put, number one, get along with each other in the church. Walk as one in the body. That's number one on Paul's list. Isn't that interesting? My, my, I grew up with a, a little brother. And one of the things I remember my mom saying most often to my brother and I is, would you act like brothers? All right? Don't be what you're not, but would you, would you act like what you are? Would you get along with each other, help each other instead of hurting each other? And Paul is doing something similar here. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling by expressing your spiritual maturity for the glory of God in the context of the fellowship of the local church. It's New Testament teaching. By the way, at the end of this service, we'll have a public invitation like you always do. And some of you may need to come forward answering the call of Christ. By God's grace, he's finally gotten through to you. And you realize, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And it's not just because you have a good idea. It's because God's Spirit has stirred up your heart. He's convicting you of sin. He's calling you to turn from sin and come to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. This invitation is your opportunity to answer that calling, the calling that so many others here in the room have answered. So the unity of the church is real. Do you believe that? <laughs> Three of you believe it. That's good. <laughs> Amen. We believe that, don't we? Amen. It's a reality. We're one in Christ. But if I had time, I would, I would go to the next verses, verse 4, 5, 6, where Paul describes those seven ones, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father overall. It's real. The unity of the church is real. The second thing I want you to notice from the text 
is the unity of the church must be protected. It's real and it's fragile. Look at the language of verse 3. It's very strong. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit brings the unity. It's real. But our calling in Christ is to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Both those words are very important. To be diligent, it carries the idea of speed, eagerness. To be diligent is to live with a passion, a blazing zeal for the unity of Christ. Be diligent to preserve, to cherish, to guard, to protect, to maintain the unity of the body in the bond of peace. And so what Paul is saying is the unity of the church is real, but it must be protected because it's fragile. And those of you that have been around church for very long know that that's true, isn't it? Many of you have, been, have experienced life in a, in a local church where, where we just couldn't get along with each other. And you know, when you can't get along with each other, you can't do anything else, right? It, it's not easy. I, I uh, a couple of years ago, was uh, preaching in a little church in Oklahoma, and, and uh, it just so happened it was only about 10 minutes from where our oldest son lives. And that very weekend, we were watching his three children. He and his wife had gone on a little anniversary trip. And so we spent Friday and Saturday and Sunday watching his six-year-old daughter and four-year-old son and little baby girl. And they were going to go with us to church on Sunday. And the six-year-old girl was really excited. She was going to go listen to Granddad preach and go to the church. And we talked a lot about it. But, but we put the big kids to bed Saturday night. And when we put the baby to bed, Julie realized she was running a fever. And she woke up the next morning with a fever. And she said, well, we can't, we can't take this baby to church and so when the big kids got up, Mimi said, we're not going to church with granddad. We're going to stay home. And, they, and the six-year-old girl kind of started pouting. And so on the fly, my wife, Mimi, said, but we're going to have home church with granddad before he leaves. I was supposed to leave in five minutes. <laughs> so I, I said, well, here's what we're going to do. I said, Pearl and Jack, that's a six-year-old before you. Go get your Bibles come back here in the living room. They sit down here on the ottoman. And Mimi's going to open in prayer. And then we're going to sing a song. And after we sing a song, then Pearl, you read any story you want to from the Old Testament. And Jack, he couldn't read, but he had a little picture Bible. I said, Jack, we'll read a story from the New Testament out of your Bible. And that'll be church. And so my wife prayed. And when she said, amen, Jack said, I want to read my story first. And, and I could see Pearl's lips starting to pooch out. She was going to protest that. So I said, no, Jack, we've already set the order of service. All right? Pearl's going to read her story first. Then we'll read your story. Hand to God, four-year-old Jack, grandson of two Baptist preachers, stood up and tucked that picture Bible high under his right arm and marched off toward his bedroom saying, I'm going to find a new church where I can read my own Bible. <laughs> See, I, I had a church of four, and they were related to me, and I split it on the first Sunday. <laughs> so the unity of the church is real, 
the unity of the church must be protected passionately, diligently, zealously guarded. And, and, and this, this is a text that forces me to ask the question, what am I more passionate about than the unity of my church? What opinions or preferences or affiliations do I have that are so important to me that I would allow them to be a source of division in the body? When the New Testament says that the primary way that I display the maturity of Christ in my life to his glory is by being zealous to protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in the fellowship of the local church. It's a central New Testament teaching. And the third thing I want to say, that Paul make, the point Paul makes here is, not only is a unity real, unity must be zealously guarded, but hear this, brother and sister, your spiritual maturity is the key. That's why it's so important to understand Acts chapter 4 and the con uh, Ephesians chapter 4 in the context of Ephesians chapter 3. Coming on the heels of that prayer, Paul has just prayed for spiritual maturity. And because in Paul's mind, the unity of the body is our spiritual maturity on display. Can, can, I, can I say the, the contrary fact? Disunity in the body is our spiritual immaturity on display. And so look, look what Paul does in verse 2. He paints the portrait of Christ. Verse 2, he elevates the essential aspects of the character of Christ. Before he even calls us to guard the unity of the body, he declares to us the character that it will require. With all humility and gentleness. But by the way, you know in the pages of the New Testament, Jesus Christ only directly describes his own character one time. Only once does Jesus say, this is what I'm like. And when he does, do you remember what he says? He says, I am gentle and humble of heart. Paul here is describing the character of Christ, isn't he? With all humility and gentleness, with all patience, that's that word long-suffering, that's the opposite of being short-tempered, with all patience, long-suffering, showing tolerance, forbearance, anticipating beforehand that you're going to be hard to get along with, right? Forbearance, tolerance toward one another in love. This is the character of Christ. And, and listen, when Paul says, now, now listen, I'm gonna, I want to ask you to do something. And before I ask you to do it, I want you to know it's going to take humility and gentleness. It's going to take patience and forbearance. It's going to take love. He, he's helping us anticipate the fact that this is not going to be easy. That, listen, that these people are going to be hard to get along with. 
My dad lives out in the country. If, if dad calls me and says, son, I, I need you to help me, I, I'll say, okay. He'll say, well, here's what I need. I, I want, would, you, would you bring some leather gloves and wear long sleeves? Make sure you wear your boots and bring a good hat with you. I don't know exactly what he's going to ask me to do, but I know it's not going to be very pleasant, right? And, and so when Paul says, Here's, I, want you to, I want you to put on the display the character of Christ, it's going to take humility and gentleness, tolerance, patience. What's he saying? He's saying these people in your church can be offensive. They're going to hurt your feelings. Some of them are going to be contrary, hard to get along with, inconsiderate. It's not going to be easy. In fact, you're going to have to display the very character of Christ to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And not only does he emphasize the character of Christ, he emphasizes the Spirit's control, doesn't he? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The, the Holy Spirit creates the real unity of the church. He makes us one. And it's the Holy Spirit within that enables us to preserve the unity of the body. Remember Paul writes to the church at Corinth? And, and the church at Corinth had a problem with division. They couldn't get along with each other. They were wealthy and they were gifted and they were a little self-centered and they were always fussing and fighting with each other. Do you remember what Paul said to the church at Corinth? He said, I know that you are carnal. I know that you are not living your lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I know that you are not filled with the Spirit. He said, I know that you are not under the control of the Holy Spirit. And here's how I know. Do you remember what he said? There is division among you. Because the Holy Spirit is one. And people that are filled with the Spirit are people who preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The character of Christ and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual maturity is the key. Listen, I can't, you know, your spiritual maturity may or may not be displayed in how many Bible verses you memorize. Your spiritual maturity may or may not be on display by what a great Bible teacher you are. But if you are a force for unity in the fellowship of the local church, then you are living with the character of Christ in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and your spiritual maturity is on full display. Paul says, this is what it takes. Grown-up men and women of God. Right? Any, any child can fight. Grown-up men and women of God. This is what it takes. I, I, I read a book about, um, about rowing. You know, like you see in the Olympics, those big rowing teams. And, and imagine like an eight-man rowing team. They all got their oar, and they're gliding across the water in that little skinny boat. And, and you, you know, 
for a rowing team to move together proficiently through the water. They pursue something that the rowers call swing. And what they mean by swing is when they're all in perfect rhythm. They're so synchronized, it's like they're moving as one. Just perfect rhythm. And in order to achieve that perfect rhythm, oftentimes the strongest rower, he has to restrain himself just a little bit. It doesn't do the team any good if he's moving faster than the rest of them. And, and, and in a similar way, in the life of the local church, the Christ follower who's truly wise and good and righteous is always giving preference to the other, isn't he? Because you're pursuing that kind of rhythm of body life that allows you to maximize the advance of the gospel. Put your spiritual maturity on display and glorify God through the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what God is calling to us to in a word. Let me, let me end where I started. Lenexa Baptist is a great church. You have a great pastor, great staff. And God has blessed this congregation. You are a flagship church here in Kansas City and in the kingdom of God. And the devil has a plan for you. And we know from God's word that page one of that plan is always to attack the fellowship of the body. And so what scripture call us to today is a passionate commitment as a follower of Christ Jesus to be a force for unity in the body of Christ. To be spiritually mature enough to help support the unity of the body to the glory of God and the advance of the gospel. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, we'll have that public invitation. Some of you, like I said earlier, you might come because you're ready to answer the call of Christ. You need a life-changing encounter with Jesus. To turn from sin and trust in Jesus. Some of you might come because you want to take one of the pastors by the hand and say, I want to be that mature man, that mature woman of God who is a force for unity in this body. I want God to use me that way. You might want to come and just pray for the fellowship of the church in response to God's word. But let's be doers of the word and not merely hearers this morning. Let's pray together. When I say amen, we'll stand and you come. Father, thank you for this fellowship, for this great church, for your grace on her. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would protect the fellowship of this congregation, that these brothers and sisters would walk together as one, that their spiritual maturity would be on display in a way that glorifies your name as they row together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that even this morning in response to your word and in the leadership of the Holy Spirit, some would find a new and lifelong passion, zeal to be a force for unity in this body. 
And I pray, Father, that if there are any here this morning who've never turned from sin and trusted in Christ as Savior, that the day would be a day of salvation for them. We thank you, Jesus, that you called us out of darkness into light, that we once were not a people, but now we're the people of God, that you've saved us from sin and made us members of this body. And I pray, Father, that the next Baptist church would be glorified, would glorify your name together in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.